Matthew chapter 1 is where we are as we are journeying through what we've called a promise fulfilled. If you've not picked up the Christmas devotional put together by several of our members, it's available. We said one per household. We have extras now. So if you would like to grab another one or you would like to give it to someone, a neighbor, etc., those are available to you. In the 1930s, the German Wehrmacht invaded Europe and the soldiers of every branch of the invasion, the Heers, the Marine, the Luftwaffe, they all wore a belt buckle that bore the words, Gott mit uns, God with us. <laughs> Except for the SS. They refused to have that logo on their belt buckles. It's quite a shock, is it not, to an observer, this God with us, Emmanuel, on a German Nazi uniform, one that they had used the German military for hundreds of years. But the Emmanuel we think of is the one that we find here in Matthew chapter 1, because in Matthew 1, at verse 23, it says, Look, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will name him, and here it is, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, if you have a good study Bible, it's probably in bold, indicating that this is a text that Matthew has borrowed from the Old Testament, and that is true. It's found from Isaiah 7. And if you want to be a good student of the Word, if you're studying the New Testament and it cites the Old Testament, you want to go back. You want to see the context. It's vital in understanding what the New Testament writer is trying to relate to us. So that's what we're going to do. So turn, keep here, keep your finger in Matthew 1, but turn to Isaiah 7. We need to see the context, the backdrop of this prophecy that a virgin will give birth to a son and you will call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. In Isaiah 7, verse 1, it says, During the reign of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzzah, or Uzziah, excuse me, the king of Judah, Right, so he's the reigns in Jerusalem, he's the Judean king, King Rezin of Syria, and King Pekah, the son of Ramalia of Israel, marched up to Jerusalem to do battle, but they were unable to prevail against it. Now watch the text. It says, It was reported to the family of David, Syria has allied with Ephraim. They and their people were emotionally shaken just as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So the Lord told Isaiah, here's our prophet, go out with your son, Shir Yashum, which means there will be a remnant, <laughs> and meet Ahaz at the end of the conduit of the upper pool that's located at the road to the field where they wash and dry cloth and tell him, Make sure you stay calm. Don't be afraid. And he proceeds Isaiah to tell him that those two enemies that are coming in and invading, God's going to take care of them. Good news. And then he says in verse 10, the Lord again spoke to Ahaz, ask for a confirming sign from the Lord your God. You can ask for something miraculous. This is a blank check. Isaiah said, hey, the Lord says, anything you want as an indication that this is true, you can ask for it. <laughs> right? And notice what Ahaz does. Well, first, so Isaiah replied, pay attention 
Well, Ahaz says, I don't want to ask. I don't want to put the Lord to a test. And Isaiah says, pay attention, family of David. This is vital. The text we looked at last week, 2 Samuel 7, God made a promise to David that was fulfilled, well, confirmed in the life of Christ to be confirmed in the future. We looked at that last week. Do you not... Do you consider it too insignificant to try the patience of men? Is that why you're also trying the patience of my God? For this reason, the Lord himself will give you a confirming sign. And here it is. Look, this young woman is about to conceive and she will give birth to a son. You, young woman, will be, you will name him Emmanuel. Here's the, the verse that Matthew has cited in Matthew 1. This child will eat sour milk and honey, which will help him know how to reject evil and choose what is right. Here is why this will be so. Before the child knows how to reject evil and choose what is right, the land whose two kings you fear will be desolate. So Isaiah goes, fine. Ahaz, you, you don't want a sign? Let me give you a sign from the Lord. This, is, this lady here is going to give birth to a child. We'll call him Emmanuel, and, and the two kings who are creating problems for you, the Lord will eliminate. But then the Lord is not done. Again, bear with me, because all of this comes crashing into the New Testament. We have to understand the context of this Emmanuel that we read of in the New Testament. The Lord will bring you, Ahaz, your people and your family's family, a time unlike any since Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Now... We need to unpack this. It is definitely here during the time of Ahaz, the worst of times. The country was weak politically. God's people were rebellious. The enemy was growing. In fact, they were at the door. There was international political crisis. And judgment is imminent. And in the midst of all of that, there's this glimmer of hope, this promise that God makes one in which he says, I will come and dwell with you. Now, Ahaz has been given a blank check. You can ask anything. But here's the problem. Ahaz has already placed his faith in the Assyrians. Now, let me set the scene because this is vital. We'll get here to the New Testament. Just hang on. For those who love maps... So you have Judah in the orange. Israel is in the north of them. Remember, the country was split. Uh, David's grandson, Rehoboam, was a louse and you know the story. Uh, Aram, this is Syria in the pink. Assyria, though, is in the north. Now, watch this, because this is vital. What I love about Scripture, by the way, is the historicity of it. Don't you? These aren't made-up names. No one wasn't sitting in a room having mushrooms. And all some, they said, let's write a story. I mean, let me just give you an example. In the 1990s, that boule, which is a clay impression of a seal that had been fired and was preserved, is Ahaz. It mentions him by name. Wow. 700 years. Uh, time of Christ. Now add another almost 2,000 years, and that was found. And Tiglath-Pileser III is the king of Assyria. This is a relief from his palace walls. And here's the kicker. We know from 2 Kings 16... Ahaz, of course he doesn't want a sign. I don't want anything from you, God. I've already made a pact with Assyria. Makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> you got Assyria over here. Your two enemies are right here. We've locked them in. What Israel wanted was Judah to side with them and go to war with Assyria. 
And Ahaz goes, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I got this made. <laughs> God wasn't trying to trick Ahaz. It was a genuine and generous invitation. And what's amazing to me is the Lord still provides a sign to Ahaz. If I was God, I would have struck him dead on the spot. Why? Because twice the text has already reminded Ahaz, you belong to the family of David. God made a promise to you and to your descendants. He will protect you. But Ahaz, oh no, he's already turned to the Assyrians for help. Now there's some important lessons here to see if you're following along and you want to write some notes down. But Ahaz failed to recognize the Lord keeps his promises. <laughs> he shouldn't have feared. God is on his side. It can be easy, can't it, to forget that the Lord goes before us if we know Christ is our Savior, that the promises he's made, he'll never leave us nor forsake us, that he promises to give us our daily bread. Human beings are the only creature that God has made that ever doubts him. <laughs> I've never seen a group of sparrows wondering if God is going to provide sitting on a limb, discussing it. No, Ahaz failed to recognize, but Ahaz's failure did not diminish or extinguish God's grace. This is key here. We're going to get to Matthew in a minute, but you can kind of see where we're headed. According to 2 Chronicles 28, Ahaz was not a good guy. He set up idols and altars to false gods, he offered his own children as human sacrifice and pagan worship. He closed and locked up the temple doors. Well, partly because he had taken all the goods from the temple and gave it to the Assyrians to appease them. God fear? Hmm. He was far from it. And yet the Lord was still willing to rescue Ahaz. I mean, think about this. All of that had already transpired before God sent Isaiah. God is gracious. He sends Isaiah. He's willing to give him a sign. And when we get to the New Testament, and we read it last week in the genealogy, guess who appears? Ahaz. I don't omitted him. Skipped right over him. But Ahaz is mentioned in the genealogy list. Here's the other thing to note. Ahaz's failure did not rob him of the joy of seeing God deliver. It's exactly what God states he will do. Go back to the map. We see here Assyria. That's 745. By 722, Israel no longer exists. Nor do the Assyrians, or the uh, Damascans, Syrians, because Assyria takes them out. But remember, God's promise of the child, it's laced with both a blessing and also judgment. Because the time we get to 701, Judah also, for the most part, ceases to exist by the Assyrians. The only thing left standing under Hezekiah is Jerusalem. God warned Ahaz in this process. The child is a symbol, this Emmanuel, of both hope for the nation as well as one of judgment. Now when we get to the text here, the question of course is, who is this mother in Isaiah 7? Who is the child that's being delivered here? 
<laughs> One scholar says it's the most controversial passage in the Old Testament. And another scholar writes, more commentary has been written on this one verse than the entire Old Testament put together. It's a bit of an exaggeration, but the idea here is, is difficult. In the Hebrew, and this is how the Net Bible rendered it, it says young woman, because in the Hebrew, the term is Alma. It, it's an indication of, of a woman who has not given, not given birth before to children. So clearly it's firstborn. When we get to the Greek translation of the Old Testament in the intertestament period, they translate it as virgin, which is what Matthew does with the text. And we'll get to that here as we look at this. And clearly the child's name is to be Emmanuel, God with us. Or there are over 100 passages in the Old Testament where God is with his people. So who is this woman that Isaiah is referring to, to Isaiah, here in the text? Some would see this solely as future, that, that this is directly referring to Jesus. And I can appreciate that. Some see a provisional fulfillment. There is a double fulfillment. In other words, there is an immediate fulfillment to this that Isaiah is giving, and then there's the future, which of course is culminated in Christ Jesus, who we meet in Matthew 1. If, it is, if there's a provisional fulfillment, is it the wife of the prophet? Because in chapter 8, verse 3, you'll see that Isaiah gives, his wife gives birth to Meher Shalah Hashbaz. There's a name for you if you're looking for a son's name this next year. It's the longest word and the longest name in all of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, that word, by the way, means to plunder. So his first son means that God is faithful to a remnant. This one is God will plunder, uh, which exactly happens to Damascus, Samaria, and sadly to Judah. Some would argue, no, it's the wife of Ahaz that Isaiah is referring to. And we know that son is Hezekiah, but he's born five years after this prophecy. Some would argue it's a woman in the Davidic court. So this is a Davidic line, and it's a promise that God will partially fulfill and later some see it as a figurative representation of Israel. But clearly from the context, I would argue there is a future that is being seen here. It points to a promise that, is, that a son is coming in the house of David, a messianic figure. Why? Because much of what this son, this child is going to do is not fulfilled historically. It's yet for the future. Look at chapter 8. Verses, we'll do verses 8, 8 through 10. It says, He will spread his wings out over your entire land, O Emmanuel. You'll be broken, O nations. You will be shattered. Pay attention, all you distance. Devise your strategy, for God is with us. So this idea of all those who oppress Israel will be dealt with. And then chapter 9, Isaiah 9, talks about this child as well, who has been born to us. A son has been given to us. We will call his name Wonderful, Counselor, etc. So I believe what you see in Isaiah 7.14, the text that Matthew is going to pick up, is referencing ultimately to a future Davidic king who would embody God's presence and deliver people from the hostile nations. Remember, this is made to the promise, the pro, it's reiterating the promise God made to David. All that that's going to be fulfilled and sadly, Ahaz, a descendant of David, 
refuses to accept a sign, and consequently the sign that is given is one of both blessing but also curse. Now, keep that in mind as we come to Matthew 1. Let's look at this. This is so vital. You know, when you, you take out a plant out of your pots in the fall and you pull them up, the, everything comes out. And so when you, you pull out an Old Testament text, that context is key. And I will argue those themes in Isaiah 7, 9, 8, and 9 will shape much of all of Matthew's gospel. 118, Matthew 118, now the birth of Jesus Christ appeared. That ties to verse 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. He's not just Jesus, he's the Meshua, he's the promised one. And we talked about the emphasis on David in the genealogy. While his mother was engaged to Joseph, I don't like the reference here of gauge. It's, it's really, the older term might be betrothed. An engagement in the first century was far more significant. You can call off an engagement today. There's some sad people, but okay. You really can't call off an engagement in the first century. This is, the ante is up. This is, this is almost like a divorce it was a period of time to see the fidelity, the, the um, faithfulness of the spouse, primarily of the woman. And so we're told here that Mary's engaged to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Oops. This creates a huge problem. The text tells us because Joseph, her husband-to-be, was a righteous man, and because he did not want to disgrace her, he could make her a social outcast. Under the Old Testament, she could have been stoned. This is a no-no. And Joseph, Joseph could have taken this 11, 12, 13, 14-year-old at max lady and, and taken her out and made her a social outcast, a blight. On society. Remember, this is a small community. This isn't Jerusalem where she could fade into the woodwork. Everyone knows Mary's family and all that that entails. And we're told in the text a second time because an angel appears. When he contemplated this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. By the way, that's going to happen next week when we look at the wise men. I can't wait. Because the angel, once again, has to intervene. And Joseph, the son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child conceived in her is from, and here it is again, the Holy Spirit. Zadras, the son of David, Joseph, and the angel gives him two commands. First of all, do not be afraid. Take Mary as your wife. The, the fear is not because an angel is present, I would argue. It, it, it's, it's, it's not the fear of, oh man, I, I hate to make the commitment. <laughs> no, the fear is taking a lady who's gotten pregnant out of the betrothal period. And Joseph knows he's not the dad. And the, it's clear in the text because the angel says, because the child conceived in her, this is why you, don't, you can go ahead and take her. It's from the Holy Spirit, which is again, reiterated twice so that we get this. A virgin birth is vital. It's important as it allows Jesus to be born with the human nature without original tainted sin. It also conveys that Jesus is a miraculous gift 
to humanity. There is no question we cannot produce a Savior. This idea, God with us, there, God doesn't owe us anything. There, there's not some way we can purchase this or earn it. I love Cranfield. He says, not a Savior arising out of the continuity of our human history, but God in person intervening in it, coming to the rescue. So the angel tells him this. That's the first part. And then he says, you're going to name the child. No, she'll give birth to a son. Oh, gender reveal. Here it is, right? Blue bombs. And you will name him Jesus. Yahweh saves is what it means. <laughs> Thank goodness he wasn't like Ahaz. He accepts the sign. He does what is told. He will save his people from their sins. This has all happened so that it was spoken by the Lord through the prophet which is fulfilled. The prophet's not even named. Well, of course, the emphasis is that this is God speaking. It's divine revelation. But I think as well, this prophecy is well known. We all know who said it in the first century. Oh, that's Isaiah. Look, the virgin, and there it is. Taking out of the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, it's a virgin who will conceive and give birth to a son. And they, pronouns been changed, will name him Emmanuel. God is with us. Whew. Can you imagine Joseph? Talk about a flood of emotions. So much for that wedding day. Hmm. When Joseph awoke from the sleep, he did exactly what the angel of the Lord told him. He took his wife, but he did not have marital relations with her until she had given birth to a son whom he named Jesus. This is vital. Here as we unfold this passage, this Isaiah text that's being wrapped into the whole Christmas scene. Again, hundreds of years before that prophecy was given and Matthew is showing that God keeps his promises and it is confirmed in this one called Jesus. Again, as well as I stated, the context of Isaiah 7 through 11 is vital. It's not only seen here as it's woven into the Christmas narrative, but it shapes the entire gospel account that Matthew gives. In fact, Isaiah 9 is used in Matthew 4, which is really where the narrative begins. When Christ begins his ministry in Matthew's gospel, it starts in chapter 4. And what is used? Isaiah 9. It's what launches Christ's ministry. And the themes from Isaiah 7 through 9 are peppered throughout Matthew's gospel. Again, what was that prophecy? The context? God has made a promise to David. He's going to fulfill it. And you, you, you either you receive it with a blessing or there's a curse if you reject. But the, that, that promise is going to be fulfilled. And we get here to Matthew's gospel. Remember, he's a Jew writing to Jews. He's got to show that is Jesus really the Messiah, the promised one? And if so, where's the kingdom? We talked about that last week. But this entire gospel, Matthew, is rooted in the purposes of God. Five times in the chapters 1 and 2, there's a reference to an Old Testament text. It's like a stamp of approval. Secondly, there's an emphasis on the Davidic role, the rule from David's line, which we've seen already in the genealogy. There's an emphasis on salvation and judgment, 
which is seen even in Matthew 4. There's a light that is shining in the darkness. Respond. The Son of God, the emphasis that, that Jesus is, God is present in Jesus with us. Son of God title is used eight times in Matthew's gospel. And Matthew has a call to faith throughout the narrative. I wish we had time to develop this. A call to faith which says you respond to the gospel or if you don't respond, there is judgment. It's a manifestation. And unlike Ahaz, Joseph believes and he obeys immediately without hesitation. And Joseph ironically serves as the first person in the gospel committing himself to the significance of Jesus and the purposes of God. So what does that mean for us? As I see the Old Testament prophecy being realized in the new here as it's, it's being unfolded and to be yet fulfilled in the life of Jesus as the Davidic king. The message of Christmas that God is with us is number one, God graciously humbled himself to dwell among us. God with us. Philippians 2 Though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, by looking like other men, and by sharing in human nature, he humbled himself. In fact, Paul goes on, he humbled himself to the point of even dying on a cross. And so when we see this Emmanuel, this reference to Isaiah in Matthew 1, we were reminded God did this. He graciously humbled himself. Ironic, isn't it? All the way back to the Garden of Eden, humanity has sought to be like God, but it was God who humbled himself to become man. Human, human beings desire to rule, but God came to save and serve. We did nothing to obtain this child. It was promised by God, and it was fully fulfilled solely by God. For by grace you have been saved, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that leads us to the second part here. Because by God being with us, it means that he has provided forgiveness of sins. Did you see what the angel told Joseph? You're going to give birth to a son, or she will, verse 22, and you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Colossians 1, 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in the Son. That's why John can say, we beheld his glory. We touched it. We saw him. He dwelt among us. And through him to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through the blood of the cross. And think about this. What would happen if God wasn't with us? <laughs> We'd have no Savior. We'd have no relationship with the Heavenly Father. We'd have no indwelling of the Spirit. We'd have no eternal life. True love, peace, rest, hope, joy, grace would never be known. Because it is God who has invited us in. Humanity seeks to remove Jesus from the very event in which they should be celebrating. It's sad. You go around... I make a purpose to say, Merry Christmas. 
Because it is the message of Christmas that we find true hope and peace. Why? Because God's with us. We have forgiveness of sins. And you wouldn't have found it anywhere else. Do you know this Jesus? This one who is Emmanuel. Do you understand why we celebrate Christmas? Just this week, one fellow who's been attending the church came to know the true meaning. It wasn't about works. It's about faith in Christ and all that it entails. J.I. Packer writes, The Christian message is there is hope for a ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, because it is the Father's will. Jesus became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later he would hang on a cross. Matthew understood this as he pulls that prophecy from Isaiah 7 and, and places it over the, the manger scene. <laughs> this is our Emmanuel. This is God with us. As I mentioned, Matthew continues to use Isaiah. We get to Matthew 20, and we find two blind men on the road who are wanting Jesus to heal them, but the crowds are interfering, and they keep crying, Have mercy on us, Lord, Son of David. The crowd tried to quiet them when Jesus stopped and asked what they desired. They said, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes immediately, and they received their sight, and they followed him. Isaiah 9. Turn to Isaiah 9. I want you to see the connections here. They're huge. This child that's going to be born, this Emmanuel, Isaiah 9, states in verse 2, in earlier times, he humiliated the lands of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. This is the northern area. He brings honor by the way of the sea and the regions beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness, watch this, like those two blind men. Those were physical, but there's a spiritual component here. Uh, obviously, Isaiah is referring to that people walking in darkness see a bright light. Light shines on those who live in a land of, that are deeply dark. Then it says in verse 6, For a child has been born to us, a child has been given to us. He shoulders responsibility. And he's called Wonderful Advisor, which means military strategist. He's the mighty God. That means he's the warrior. He can defend Judah. He can defend us. Because <laughs> this ultimate king that is promised will come someday and sit on that Davidic throne and reign. He's the everlasting father. He's the prince of peace, which speaks of safety. This is the one who will rule on David's throne and over David's kingdom. Wow. Have mercy on us, son of David. We understand. Heal our sight. For indeed, unto us a child is born. There's another aspect here of this God with us, and that is the certainty of that comes. It, it's the bedrock of our faith, is it not? That God dwelt with us. God's presence on this earth. And, and by the way, the end of Matthew, I mentioned last week, it states, it's Jesus who states, and he, behold, I'm with you until the ends of the earth. <laughs> I'm with you. I provide the source of strength, comfort, hope, and peace. 
that which we have seen time and time again in the scriptures. I mean, think of the, probably one of the most familiar texts of the Old Testament. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what? What does he do? He walks with us through the valley. He doesn't say, well, there's the valley. Have at it. Mm-mm. It's God with us who has entered time and space. Ahaz missed it. This is the one that has promised he will be there with you. You don't need the Assyrians. <laughs> you just need to turn to him. This fellowship with the Lord should be of utmost importance in our lives. It isn't how much I serve, but rather am I fostering a relationship with Emmanuel. Oh, come ye to Bethlehem, come and behold him. God's presence also exhorts us to live godly lives. Amos 5, seek good and not evil so you can live. Then the Lord God of heaven's armies just might be with you as he claims he is. There should be a longing for God's glory in our lives that springs up within our soul, a spring that is fed by gratitude. The wonder of the newborn child lying in a manger should not be lost. It should drive us to embrace him, to love him, and to serve him. Why? Because Emmanuel, the one who was promised over 700 years ago, has been born. <laughs> I love what Charles Spurgeon wrote. He said, God with us is eternity's sonnet. Heaven's hallelujah. It's the shout of the glorified, the song of the redeemed, the chorus of the angels, the everlasting oratory of the great orchestra of the sky. That's why we celebrate Christmas. God is with us. Amen. Amen.